Well, I invite you to turn to our passage for this morning. It's from Luke chapter 2. If you're looking at the, the Black Bible there among the chairs, it should be on page 858. 858. We're going to be reading and studying together verses 40 through 52 of Luke 2. It's a part of our larger series that we're calling Knowing Jesus, uh, seeking to know uh, the Savior more and more so that we can trust him more, delight in him more, be strengthened uh, in the life that's in him alone. And uh, after coming out of the Christmas season where we talk a lot about uh, Jesus and his birth and baby Jesus, uh, now this week kind of a transition to talking about the boyhood of Jesus. What happened after he was born? And we're going to read from, from Luke 2, where we, where we get an episode in the, in the young life of Jesus. Uh, so let's read together, remembering that this is the very word of God. Luke 2, starting in verse 40. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, uh, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, that they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? <clears throat> and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Let's pray. Lord, use your word. Show us the glories of Jesus and build our faith, we pray in his name. Amen. So how are you feeling about the year ahead? How are you feeling about 2024? Do you feel hopeful? Excited? Have you, have you made any plans? Resolutions, maybe? A to-do list? Uh, have, have you read any articles? You know, five tips on how to have the best year ever? Um, okay, so, so put those different things together. Plans, resolutions, to-do lists, five tips. What, what do all those things have in common? They all have to do with what you do. Or don't do. 
the resolutions that you will make, uh, the, the steps that you will take, uh, the, the things on the list that you will do. Right? It has everything to do with what you do, which from one perspective makes sense. That's the things that are in your control. You don't have any control around about the world around you or the people around you, but you can control what you do. So in some ways it makes sense. Um, but but with a, with, if you just focus on that, that which you do, it can start to reinforce what is a, uh, what is a, a tripping point, a, a stumbling point for, for most of us. That we tend to think of the, the time ahead, okay, the year ahead, that, that what really makes the difference in 2024, good, bad, good year, bad year, Successful year, failure year. What really makes the difference between good, bad, success, failure, it all comes down to what you do. You do it well, success. And not so well, failure. It all comes down to what you do. No pressure. But is that what the Bible gives us about the Christian life? That what it all comes down to is what you do. What the Bible gives us is something much, much better, much, much bigger. Not a focus on what you do, but a focus on what Jesus has done, who he is, and what he has done. And that uh, the, the, what flows out in the Christian life has everything to do with our connection to him. Yes, there are things to do. Uh, but the key, and even our, what our focal point should be, is on what he's done uh, and who he is. And that really is, is the, the theme of this whole series that we're doing. Uh, but, it, but it helps as we're going into this, to this passage here. Um, certainly in the life of Jesus, you could, you could talk as we look at the boyhood of Jesus. You could see, oh, Jesus does some things. Uh, you should do those also. That's true. And, and, and we'll even mention a few at the end. Um, but there's something bigger going on. There's something better going on uh, that connects to what really is our hope always. Hope for a new week, hope for a new year, hope for a lifetime. Uh, not a focus on what you do, but a focus on what he has already done and who he is. So let's look at this, this account. So Luke gives us this, what he tells us is a very carefully researched historical account of of the, of the life of Jesus, and, and here's a pretty significant passage as we get to the, the boyhood of Jesus. We get the first recorded actions of Jesus uh, in his, uh, in, after his birth, the first recorded words of Jesus uh, after, after his birth. Uh, Luke actually gives us a key clue of how to understand what's going on uh, by, by bookmarking the passage. Right, the verse at the beginning and the verse at the end. Now, if you're looking at the Black Bible, you're going to have to ignore the little chapter or the little uh, section break. Remember, those section breaks are not inspired. Luke didn't write, you know, the boyhood of boy Jesus at the temple. He didn't write that. Um, but what you do if you kind of take that out and you look at just the flow of verse to verse, you come across verse 40, and then at the end, verse 52, and you start to they sound kind of familiar. They can sound kind of similar, right? Verse 40, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. 
Then you get this episode. Then you have at the end, verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Kind of sounds familiar. Yeah, exactly. Jesus, or Luke here is kind of putting bookmarks on it, uh, bookends, brackets, uh, to show what's really the theme, Jesus growing in wisdom and his, and his favor with God. And there's this episode in the middle as if Luke is saying, yeah, here's an example of that. You want to know what I'm talking about? Here it is. Uh, and that's kind of how we'll look at it together. We could summarize the, the teaching on the boyhood of Jesus this way, uh, that Jesus is, uh, as a child, ordinary and yet extraordinary. Ordinary yet extraordinary. And that is exactly what our hope is, uh, that he is indeed ordinary and yet extraordinary. So let's, let's talk about the first the ordinary. He's just an ordinary child. One of the things that should strike us if we're looking at this topic, the boyhood of Jesus, is to notice that there is very, very little written in Scripture about the growing up years of Jesus. That from the time uh, the Magi leave Jesus in Bethlehem uh, to the time Jesus is baptized at the Jordan River, eh, almost 30 years, there are only 13 verses, this passage. That's it. Right? Almost 30 years of, of the Son of God's life here on earth. And all we get is these 13 verses. Why would God do that? Why wouldn't he, why wouldn't he give us more? Well, I, I think the answer is, and I think the passage bears this out, the reason we're not given more detail is because his growing up years were, were very ordinary. They, they, were, they were like your growing up years and my growing up years, only without sin. Which is actually exactly what we, what we see in this passage. What Luke seems to highlight uh, is, the, is the ordinary childhood of Jesus. Yes, we'll see there's some extraordinary elements. That's true, too, and important, too. But what you get at is, is a very ordinary growing up boyhood of Jesus. Now, what we're putting together here is, is really a, an application of what we talked about last week. So if you weren't here last week, a quick summary. We talked about the idea of the incarnation, uh, the person of the Lord Jesus, that he is one person and yet has two complete natures, a fully divine nature and a fully human nature, that the, he is fully God, right? Think John 1, the word was with God and the word was God, right? The eternal son, that's, that's Jesus, uh, but that eternal son, all-powerful, all-knowing, uh, doesn't give up any of that divinity to come to earth, uh, but does humble himself by adding a human nature. We called it uh, uh, humbling himself by addition, right? Adding a full human nature, human body, human soul, uh, so that he's made just like us, yet without sin, to use the language of Hebrews. And that's exactly what you see coming out here, only Luke especially focuses in on the human nature here of Jesus, that he's made like us in every way, only without sin. So as uh, the child Jesus is presented here, we find that he, he grows up. Now, he grows up in his human body. Uh, so verse 40, the child grew. Or verse 52, he increased in stature. 
actually some of you have been to my home, but if you did visit my home, you might notice that there's a wall near the kitchen, a doorway near the kitchen, where there's marks on the door, on the doorway. Uh, they start all the way down here and they get a little higher as you go up. It's the, it's the heights of our kids at, at different years. And they all the kids' names, they start down there and they get higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. Right? They, they grew in stature. If you were to do that with Jesus, guess what? He'd start down here, and then he'd get higher and higher, just like us. When Jesus started down there, he didn't know how to walk. Because humans don't know how to walk when they're down there. And he had to learn how to walk. And when he learned how to walk, you could be quite confident that Jesus wasn't initially very good at walking. Uh, probably wobbled around like you wobbled around. Uh, probably fell, probably skinned his knee because he had to learn how to walk. Because that's human. right? And Jesus is human just like us, only without sin. What you would be really shocked by is if for some reason he didn't have to learn how to walk. Right? Can you imagine there, uh, the, the, the shepherds show up in Bethlehem, there's the manger, and all of a sudden, little baby Jesus pops out of the manger and just wanders around. What would you think? That's, that's not human. That's not human. Humans don't do that. Right? But Jesus was fully human in every way, just like us. Which means, before he could walk, he had to grow taller. He had to grow stronger. And when he first started, he wasn't very good at it. Because that's the way humans are. That's not sinful. That's just growing in stature. And that's what Luke presents Jesus doing. In body, but also on the inside. In his, uh, in his, very, in his very heart and soul. Uh, you see that presented. Uh, kids, you might remember we used this example last week. We said a, a few things that like, well, that's not Jesus. And one of the examples we said, mm, that's not Jesus was uh, Jesus isn't like me wearing a Spider-Man costume. Do you remember that example? Right? So if I stood up here and put on a Spider-Man costume, you'd say, that's not the real Spider-Man, because he took off the costume. Look, it's just, it's just Pastor R up here. It's not real. It's not Peter Parker inside. And we said, that's not Jesus. Jesus isn't just wearing a human body costume uh, so that he's kind of human body on the outside, but inside it's all God. Um, well, he is fully God, but on the inside, he's fully human, right? So human body, but also full, complete human, human soul, just like you. So Luke points that out. Not only does he grow physically, but he grows on the inside. Um, he matures on the inside. So verse 40, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. Verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. Jesus increased in wisdom. In other words, in his humanity, he, he went from less wise to more wise. Not in the sense of he was sinfully foolish and then he got rid of some of that sinful foolishness, uh, but in the sense that he, he matured spiritually. Uh, you, you might have noticed when, uh, when Rob read from Hebrews 5, he used the language of Jesus. Uh, Hebrews says he learned obedience through that which he suffered. He learned obedience. Right? In other words, he grew uh, in, his, 
in his spiritual life uh, and his and his devotion to his father, right? N- not from sinning to not sinning, but in the way humans develop spiritually. He, he matured. Now, again, it, it kind of blows your mind when you think about it, because here is here is the same Jesus that Paul says, uh, well, in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, right? Yeah, because he's fully God. Um, but as to his humanity, he, like, because like, he's fully human, he, he grows in wisdom. Uh, he, he grows in devotion to God. He matures uh, intellectually, spiritually. Um, you could put it this way. Jesus had to learn how to read, right? Just like you learned your ABCs, Jesus had to learn his, well, Aleph, Bait, Gimels. Uh, he had to learn how to read because that's what humans do. And intellectually, he had a full human nature. Divine nature too, yes. But as to his humanity, uh, he has to learn how to read. He has to, how does he end up as a, as a man? We'll see it. Uh, I think well, this is what we'll study next week from Luke, uh, the, the next uh, Luke 4. Jesus stands up in the temple and he's handed the scroll of Isaiah and he reads it. How did he, how did he know how to do that? Could you have handed uh, baby Jesus in the manger, handed him <clears throat> the scroll of Isaiah and have him read it? No, because human babies don't do that. They don't know how to do that. If they did, you'd think, that's not human. And Jesus developed in his, in his humanity. He had to learn how to read. And even in the episode here at the temple, you see, in many ways, that's how Jesus is presented. We'll get to some extraordinary elements at the temple uh, in a few minutes, but in many ways, Jesus is portrayed as, as a typical Jewish boy. Uh, so verse 42 sets it up. Uh, that he's 12 years old, which means he's almost 13. 13 in Jewish thinking uh, is that's when you become a man, um, right? You maybe growing up, you went to your friend's bar mitzvah or something like that. They didn't quite use that language just yet, but that was still, the idea was there. Uh, he's almost 13. He's almost a man. So now he needs to start doing responsibilities of, of Jewish man, which means... You had to go to the temple three times a year for the big feasts. Every Jewish man did. That's Exodus 23. And here is Jesus. Well, he's almost 13, so now he's, he's got he's to be there. He's got to start doing it. Uh, and sure enough, he is, just like every Jewish boy in his neighborhood. Um, when Mary and Joseph find him sitting among the teachers, uh, he, he sits there the way pupils would, the way, the way a learner would, the way a Jewish boy would. We'll talk in a minute. There are some extraordinary elements of him sitting there. But, but there's also some very ordinary aspects. This is how you learned. Uh, teachers would sit there, and they'd ask questions, and you'd give answers. And sometimes you'd ask questions, and they'd give answers. It's kind of this dialogue back and forth. That's how people learned and increased in, in wisdom. And here is, here is Jesus. Uh, he's doing just that. It's a picture, Luke, wanting us to see that Jesus is growing. Physically, yes, but also increasing in learning, increasing in wisdom, uh, and, uh, and it's Jesus in his humanity. Does that seem strange to talk that way? Does it seem a little odd or uncomfortable? Um, but bring in what we read in Hebrews, where Hebrews really says, that's a key part of our hope, that Jesus is made just like us in every respect, yet without sin. Right? Hebrews 2. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Uh, Hebrews 4. 
We don't have a, a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. One of the things that, that all of us can be really confident about in the year ahead is that we will face difficulty of one sort or another. Now, there will be hardship. So, so what kind of hope do we have knowing it's coming? Well, here, here's part of our hope. That we have a Savior who is made just like us. So whatever we face, uh, he will understand. He will have been there. And he will be able, therefore, to, to intercede for us, to pray for us wisely, perfectly. Uh, that there will never be a point uh, where, where you'll get to a difficulty this coming year and be able to say, well, nobody gets what I'm going through. Maybe the people around you won't get it, but Jesus will. Because he was made just like you. Any difficulty of body, Jesus will understand. He, he's been through bodily difficulties. Any difficulty of, uh, on the inside, he will get that too. Because he had a real human soul, still does, uh, just like you. Faced all the temptation. Uh, yes, he was able to resist it, uh, but, but he faced the full fury of temptation. He, he knew the power of, of this world, and he'll be able to get uh, when you face it as well. Not only get it, but be able to pray for you. Right? That's Hebrews' point. That we have one just like us who is, who is interceding, is praying for you. So even before you get to that hardship, there is Jesus uh, praying for you. Knowing what you need, knowing what, uh, what the difficulty is like, he's praying to the Father, of course, who delights to give. Uh, there's part of our hope that Jesus was an ordinary child. Ordinary, yet also extraordinary at the very same time. So, so think again about this scene. So you have, remember Mary and Joseph, this feast is over, they're headed back home. Big caravan, right? Because all, uh, all Jewish men had to be there at the temple. So you'd have these large uh, groups, wives and children would come uh, as well. Uh, and so it makes sense that they might not know where Jesus is. He's 12, he's almost a man anyway. Uh, maybe it was... Mary was with the women, and Joseph was with the guys, and they're kind of thinking, I thought he was with you. You know, parents, we do that sometimes. I thought he was with you. You know, um, It makes sense. Uh, and they go searching for Jesus, and, and they find him there at, the, there at the temple. And what do we see? We see an example of a, of a learner, of a pupil, but an extraordinary one. So you look at how he's described. Um, verse 46 after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. So this is the ordinary stuff we talked about. Uh, this is how this is how the uh, the scriptures were taught. You'd have the uh, the experts in the law and the, and the Bible. They would teach through through this dialogue, kind of asking questions, answering questions back and forth, throwing out tough problems, and then getting back answers. But you get this extraordinariness about, about Jesus, the pupil, the child, the boy. Verse 47, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So the teachers look at him and, and they're, they're bowled over. Who, who is this 12-year-old? Uh, where, did, where did he get all this understanding? Right? He's from this hick town in the middle of nowhere. How does he understand the scriptures so well? How does he know God so well and his plan and his character? Um, there's, there's something extraordinary about this child. Uh, 
And yes, indeed, indeed there is. Uh, I think we'll talk about this scripture next week again, but part of what you're seeing here already, even Jesus as a boy, is prophecies like Isaiah 12, or excuse me, Isaiah 11 being fulfilled. Here's what Isaiah 11 says. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. That's what you're seeing here. Uh, you're seeing this extraordinary pupil. Yes, Jesus still in his humanity. Luke wants to think about uh, the humanity of Jesus, but here is, here is a, here's an extraordinary humanity. Uh, there's, there's the spirit of, of wisdom and understanding. Uh, he, he understands, but not just as like he gets a lot of facts. You don't want to picture this as Jesus as like the teacher's pet, you know, kind of thing. Because as, as Isaiah describes it, it's a spirit of wisdom, understanding, uh, and fear of the Lord. Right? His delight is in the fear of the Lord, Isaiah says. Uh, and, and that's a part of it as well. Here is Jesus hungering and thirsting uh, to, to know his father and know him better. Right, and, and that's why he stayed, because uh, this at the temple that was the place where you would get the scriptures. Uh, remember, you didn't have like a you know pocket Bible, so Jesus couldn't you know on the way back to Jerusalem just be reading in his his pocket scroll or something. No, the place where the scriptures were taught was there at the temple. So he's he's there because this is where this is where he gets to hear uh, about about his father, uh, his delight in the, in knowing God and fearing God. Uh, and yet there he is, uh, learning, growing, uh, but also explaining what he's already come to understand uh, and seeking his father more and more. Interesting to notice, because isn't that the exact place where we tend to struggle? Um, you know, maybe part, of your, maybe part of your planning for the new year is, has to do with how you'd like to seek the Lord in the new year. You know, maybe you're, maybe you're thinking about, like, oh, I really want to do this this devotional book in the new year or a reading plan or, you know, I want to do better about, you know, being in church or Sunday school or something like that. And part of the reason most of us do those kinds of plans is because we look back on the past year and think, wow, I guess I could have been a lot better. I struggled in 2023, so I want to get better. So let's make a plan. Let's get a new book. Let's get a, you know, all right. That's where we struggle. We struggle to, uh, to seek the Lord with all our heart. We, we struggle to, in the, in the fear of the Lord, delight in him. So even sometimes when we're present in worship, maybe our mind is elsewhere, but we know we should do better. Uh, we we want to grow in understanding, but also in that spirit of, of trusting, fearing the Lord. So this is exactly the point where we struggle. And now we look at Jesus. He, look, he's, he's just like us. He's extraordinary. He's doing those things that we struggle with, and he's doing them perfectly. He's doing them without flaw, in his humanity, even, even as a boy, hungering and thirsting for the Lord, delighting uh, in, in, his, uh, in his Father, exactly that place where we, where we struggle. So he's an extraordinary pupil. He's also an extraordinary son. Uh, so you have this really amazing interaction between Mary and Joseph and Jesus when they finally uh, catch up with him, right? They search around for three days. They find him at the temple, and uh, and they, they explain, you know, well, verse 48. His parents saw him. They were astonished, and his mother said to him, 
Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And I remember what Jesus, how Jesus responds. He said to them, why are you, are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So like on one, but, but notice this, notice this thing. Notice how Jesus plays off that word father. Right? Here's Mary saying, your father and I were looking for you. Mary, Joseph, we were looking for you. And now Jesus uh, uses the word father, but differently. Did you not know that I, I must be in my father's house? Father, not Joseph, father, but father, the Lord, God himself. It's extraordinary because, because Jewish men, um, let alone Jewish boys, didn't refer to God as their father. And you might remember later in Jesus' ministry, when he does refer to God, uh, refer to his father, people pick up stones to stone him. They think he's blaspheming. Uh, so Jesus is saying something extraordinary, even just by saying, yeah, I'm, I'm here in my father's house. He's not denying the role of Joseph in his life. In fact, the passage ends by saying he, he submits to his parents. Uh, he, he follows Mary and Joseph and their, their leadership over him. But he talks about this extraordinary relationship with, with his father. He said, I must be at my father's house. You could also translate it as, I must be about my father's business. Uh, same, same idea there. This, this special commitment to his his father and his commitment to the things of his father, the mission of his father and his father's, his father's heart, uh, it even transcends his commitment to his earthly parents. I must be about my father's business. I must be in my father's house seeking, seeking him, his great commitment above all uh, to his father and to the things of his father. Now, in one sense, there is... There is an element of, of the divinity of Jesus that, that plays into uh, Jesus as son and father, right? He is the eternal son, uh, and right? And for all eternity, there is this relationship between father and son within the Trinity, with the Spirit. Uh, so there's a sense in which a little bit of this could be a reference to that eternal uh, divinity, uh, father and son, an eternal relationship. Um, but remember... Luke especially seems to be focusing on the humanity of Jesus, right? He's just kind of like us. He grows. He increases in wisdom. And then he says, I have to be here in my father's house. And remember, Luke, in a few chapters, is going to tell us about how, uh, how, how his disciples come to him and say, would you teach us how to pray? And he says, when you pray, say, Father in heaven. Right? Remember, Jews didn't refer to God as their father. That was seen as, as, as wrong, as blasphemous. So here is this Jesus as a boy who says, my father, I'm in my father's house, I'm about my father's business. And then what he's going to turn to his disciples, to his people is, is going to say, guess what? You're going to call God your father. I have this special relationship with, with the father. You're going to have that. The intimacy the, uh, the knowledge, the understanding, the protection, the care of, of Father. I have that, and guess what? You're going to have that too. It's because he is fully human, and yet he does it perfectly, and he does it for us. So here's where we start to put, put the pieces together. Right, we started off by saying our, our hope for the year ahead, our hope for a lifetime, 
it, is, it really doesn't boil down to what you do, what I do, that's bigger than me. That it's really about what Jesus does. Uh, our hope doesn't stand and fall with what you do, but with what Jesus did. Now, certainly there are things for you to do. And you could go in this passage and you could see things here that Jesus does uh, that the Bible elsewhere calls you to do. Right? Jesus sought to grow in his knowledge of God and commitment to God, and, and Scripture calls you to do that too. So year ahead, yes, seek to grow in the Lord. Seek his word. Uh, look for opportunities to be in it and grow. Yes. Jesus was passionately about his father's business, right? Seeking first the kingdom. Well, you're called to seek first the kingdom. So see in the year ahead how you can, in the midst of your calling, how you can seek uh, the kingdom first. Jesus was submissive to his parents. Uh, Bible, what's well, one of the Ten Commandments. We're called to be submissive to parents and those in authority. So kids, just like Jesus was submissive to his parents, seek to be submissive, obeying your parents and all of us to uh, following those who are in authority over us. Yes, there's things for us to do. But that's not the core of our hope. It, it, isn't, it isn't even where those things ultimately flow from. The core of our hope, and even what our actions flow from, is not, again, a hyper-focus on what we do, but a real clear uh, commitment and focus on what he has already done. And what has Jesus done? Well, Luke says, he came to this earth, and he was a human just like us. He had our full humanity, without the sin, but he, he was just like us. He grew. He grew in wisdom. Uh, he grew in understanding. And yet he does it all perfectly. Right? Exactly the places where we struggle and fail, look, there's Jesus, and he's, he's doing it without sin. Uh, and he's going to end up saying, this wonderful relationship I have with the Father, I'm going to give it to you. What Jesus is doing, what the Gospels present it to us as, is Jesus is, in his perfect humanity, he is blazing a trail for us. Uh, so that we might come along with him as a whole new creation. Hebrews later on after talking about this Jesus as made just like us and without sin, and he learned obedience, and, and then Hebrews 12 talks about Jesus as the pioneer of our faith, the trailblazer, essentially. Right? He, he clears out the, uh, the, the thorns and makes a trail to this renewed, fully new creation. He blazes a trail, not just so he can get there, uh, so he walks that road, but so that we can follow him, so that he can take us with him. Uh, perhaps you, you know this verse from, from 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Right? New creation. Right? A part of this new world, new humanity. That's, that's what God is doing. And if you're, if you're a Christian, that's, that's what you are. You're part of this new humanity. But, but Paul says, yeah, if you're in Christ, if you're connected to him. So you look at the, at the trail he, he blazed, right? This, this perfect humanity, this, this renewed fear of the Lord and relationship with the Father. Yeah, he's blazing that trail so he can take you with him. So that you can be connected to him through faith. And you can be a part of that new creation. 
And Paul says, actually, it's as good as done. No, you're not perfected yet, but already, uh, if you have faith in Christ, you're a part of this new humanity. And you look at Jesus and you say, look, that's where God is taking me. Right? I struggle with it now. And maybe you feel stuck now. Maybe you feel like, wow, those mistakes I made last year, I just feel stuck like I'm going to make them again. Well, that's where you start to say, well, yeah, but if, you're, if, you're, if you know Christ, you're in him, then you're not stuck. In fact, you're guaranteed of where you're going. Yeah, you're going to fail. But even then, you, can, you have this hope that he's not done. In fact, he already says your core identity is a part of that new creation, a part of that new humanity. And, and what we get to do is look at passages like this and throughout the Gospels and the New Testament, and we get to know Jesus and see, ah, he did this and he did it for me. He did it perfectly where I don't. Uh, he died to, to, to deal with my failure, uh, and, he, and he lived so that he can take me with him. So that I can be a part of this new humanity. In fact, he says, I'm already there. And the rest is just working out the details. See, that's our hope. You look at Jesus and say, look what he did. And he did it for me. That's great. Father, we do pray that you would renew in us a knowledge of, of your good news, of your gospel. That we might see the Savior ever brighter throughout this year ahead. Uh, that we might rejoice in this hope, even into eternity. We thank you for it, and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.